Thank you so much, Bree. Uh, for those, uh, happy Mother's Day, as she said. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jared, one of the pastors here. And I have next to me uh, Christine Altavilla. And uh, Christine is a mom and has been a part of our, tr- our church for quite some time. And uh, she works for an amazing organization, um, does an amazing job uh, with her family as well. And I was thinking as we are... Uh, for Mother's Day, and we're getting ready to do uh, a fun event next weekend, um, wanted to have her come in and want to introduce her to the church so you get to know her and uh, just uh, share some thoughts on, um, yeah, yeah, motherhood, uh, your vocation, um, all of it. So um, she said she would, she would come and help today as long as we had mimosas. So um, oh, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, so, Christine... Before we get started, your family, mm-hmm. Robert, he was here for a service, and he's not here now. It was Right, so now we can really dive in, right? <laughs> uh, and then you have three kids. Tell us a little yeah. bit. I think we got a picture of your family up here. Yeah, Robert and I have three kids. Um, Luke is our oldest. He's 13. We have Drew, who's going to turn 10 soon. And then Jane is three years old. So Luke is definitely like our firstborn child, rule follower. He loves to talk about the stock market. So if you ever want to dive into that with him, he's yeah, on lo- the Yeah, I love to hear his thoughts on GameStop. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, he'll talk. I'm not kidding. Like that's <laughs> what he likes to talk about. Um, then we have Drew, who's just like our entertainer. He loves to make people laugh and he's just really creative. And then Jane, um, She's our firecracker. I heard the name of a country song, and you guys, I haven't listened to this song, but it was called Sunshine and Whiskey. And just hearing the title, I was like, that's Jane. That is how we describe her. So I don't know if it's a good or bad song. I'm telling you, I haven't heard it, but (laughs) she's our sunshine and whiskey. Awesome. So just to jump right in with the real important question, you have three children. Mm -hmm. Which one is your favorite? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> they're not here they're not time. here <laughs> okay okay i mean they have different times to shine right <laughs> yeah i uh i want to start today with this premise since it's mother's day uh and it's simply this the most important people in jesus's life are women it's silent i thought the women would cheer that like <laughs> the most important people in jesus's life are women now uh, i want to look at a couple stories and explain why i'm making this statement it's one of those statements i, th- I think because we've overlooked it so much. And we know about the disciples, and we know their names, but there is um, incredible influence with the women in the Gospels and how they uh, are a part of Jesus' life and ministry, how they help support it. Um, and, and so often we, we overlook it. And so what I wanna look at today are three different stories. Um, and 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 I'd like to draw attention to these stories because I think they're important. Um, the first story takes place in Luke chapter 2. And it's a story about Jesus' early ch- life, his childhood, um, when he's about to become a teenager. And Mary is an important part of this story. And I grew up a good Protestant, so we like, never talked about Mary. Um, but I, I think what her role in Jesus' life is so significant, and I think the story highlights it. We want to turn to Luke chapter 2. Verse 51, we'll start there. Actually, verse 41. Uh, This is the story. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, 
they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. (laughs) Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Now, that's a great question that you women are allowed to have when, yeah. Why do you treat us like that? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. Then they went down to Nazareth. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So even in this, so Jesus' life, Jesus' family, like everyone has a mother, even Jesus. Can you imagine what's going through Mary and Joseph's mind in this story? Um, They leave Jesus they, they think someone else has him. And it's not just like an hour. Like my mom was in the first service. She reminded me that they left me at church one time for like an hour. This goes on for like, what, three days? If you count well, the days five before, days, five right? days. Yes. And uh, shout out to Mary for like <laughs> raising a son who can hold his own for five days. <laughs> right, right. I, yeah, I was, I was reading the story and I was, it reminds me of like Home Alone. You know, like the first, the first Home Alone where you know, Mrs. McAllister was doing anything she can to come home to, to find Kevin. And as she, like all the planes are booked, so she's like hitches a ride with John Candy and he's, you know, he's a polka band singer or something. And they're having this conversation and she's like feeling miserable and she's like, he's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And she's like, have you ever left your child on vacation? And he's like, oh, no, no. But he's like, we did, we did leave our, you know, our son at a, a funeral parlor one time and you know we left him there all day and when we got there that night he'd been with the corpse in the room all day and you know and like he was fine after two or three weeks he started talking again and, and she's like oh maybe we shouldn't talk about this and he's like you brought it up <laughs> like uh so question have you ever left your child somewhere as a mom christine have you ever had this experience like me? i mean who has it i'm just kidding but it is hard to remember to pick him up from school on time like three o'clock sneaks up on you I, I will tell you, because my mom's not here, she left me at a grocery store once. And you guys, I was six months old. <laughs> she wasn't on the news because it was back in the 80s, but um, yeah. And her, her explanation was that she was taking the groceries out, she, she had, knew where yeah. you were, and everybody else was panicking. <laughs> right. She had it under control. She had a cart full of groceries, and so, I mean, what do you do when you have three kids and you have your groceries priorities, right? Like, <laughs> It's only for a minute or so. Yeah, okay. So a couple of points in the story, though. Uh, what we find is that when they, when they do 
you know, find out where Jesus is at. He's in the temple. And it says that he is wowing the experts of the law. They're amazed at him. They're amazed at his response to their questions. They're amazed at the questions that he's asking. And they realize there's something different about this child. There's something, he has this insight to the scripture, to the Torah. And they're, they're like blown away by it. And I think that's significant because if you understand some of the context of what's going on here and you understand the Jewish education system, well, Mary has incredible influence into Jesus' life. And sometimes we think Jesus, you know, he's the son of God. He just knows everything. And yes, he's, he's 100% God. This is the, the mystery of the incarnation. But it tells us that he's growing in wisdom and in stature. So we're reminded of the humanity of Jesus as well. And at 12 years old, he's, he's hanging with like the top experts of the law of his day. And I think the reason is because his upbringing up until this point has been so influenced and formed by Mary. She would have had great insight into scripture, and we know that, like her, her sister Elizabeth is married into this priestly family. In Luke chapter 2, Mary has this, you know, famous for the Magnificat, this song, this song that she sings that's loaded with Old Testament scripture, this beautiful song that she writes. She would have had incredible insight into Torah. In the early part of Jesus' life, she's teaching and crafting. And you think about her story, about how wild Mary's story is. She molds Jesus. And so there's this incredible responsibility for her to get him to this point. And what we find is by the time he's interacting with other adults, he's got this like deep insight into Scripture. So I feel like there's something about Mary's influence here that's, that's credited to her um, as a mom, yeah. the responsibility raising children, and Marcy and I joke that, not joke, we're maybe kind of terrified of this, it's, our children are going to be in counseling someday because of us, right? <laughs> Whether like it's because we're overbearing or like, we're absent or something, so like, what do we want to send them in counseling for? Right. What do you feel like, how have you, has this played out like your responsibility with your children, teaching them about, like what does that look like for you? Yeah, well, I think our responsibility that we feel like is just to make our kids feel loved, right? To make them feel seen and known. And I want them to be independent adults so they can love God and love others as they grow. But I'll tell you the other night, I was putting Jane to bed, and we were just singing Jesus Loves Me, right? Like, I'm trying, guys. I'm trying to do my part here. But she looks me right in the face and said, Mommy, if I pushed you off a cliff and you fell into a bear cave, you would die. <laughs> so at that point, I'm like, maybe I'm raising a psychopath, right? Like, yeah. is, <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure, but I do know that we're a work in progress, and we're just going to keep trying to do our best to, you know, <laughs> teach them to be kind, maybe, and that we love them. But, I mean, Mary was doing a phenomenal job, like, if she's responsible for the Torah, because he's in there holding these conversations and holding his own, but... I mean, I guess that goes back to what I have to tell myself as a mom, just comparison's the thief of joy, right? So I'm just going to focus and just work on Yeah, I'm not saying like, you know, <laughs> look at Mary, everyone. You know, it's, uh, my favorite part about that story with Jane is not only do you fall off a cliff, then a bear eats you. That's amazing. Right, there's a whole... <laughs> yeah. Creating an environment just for them to want to be loved, to know that they're loved, uh, to be seen... Um, yeah, and that's, that's something we, we talk about a lot with, with our children. And 
there's so many different influences on the life of our children. Um, so just trying to provide that, that healthy environment for them. Uh, yes, to feel love. There's, there's another point here. Not only uh, is Jesus wowing the experts, but I love it. It says Mary's, uh, she treasures all of these things in her heart. Um, she she st- stores, the, these are, are not only memories for her, it's something that she treasures as she's seeing this play out. And I think that points, like Mary, I mean, the anxiety of this story, like not knowing where your child is and then showing, like seeing, I think she's proud of the child. And I think she also, I think Mary knows. I think for, for Mary, this is something where she, every, we all think our children are like special and, you know, the next Einstein and, or not always, but like we, we see something in our children that no one else sees. Sure. And I think Mary, not only that, she, know, she knows the story of Jesus. And I think there's, a, there's a, 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 you know, she's proud of what's happening and she's storing these things up in her heart. And, and I think she knows like, you know, I, I just think she knows. So, okay, um, the, the treasuring um, of memories. Um, you know, we, I've heard, you know, parenting what, what is the old saying? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it, but the the days are short. The the days are long and the years are short, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is that what, pe- yeah. what people say? Um, as you're raising these children, what is your favorite thing about it? In the midst of all the craziness, what's your favorite thing about being a mom? I think just seeing the kids as they grow, just their personalities unfold. Because I think as parents, we imagine what our kids are going to be like and who they're going to be, and you just get a front row seat to see it all as they grow, and it's, it, I just think that's cool, yeah. What's the most challenging thing? I think the most challenging is just seeing their struggle. I think especially this last year, we all know we've had a lot of struggle that people have been walking through, but seeing kids, whether it's um, at school with their friends or if they have a health issue or there's a mental health issue, those are all things that we want to swoop in and fix it and we just can't. And that learning to walk with them through some of those things is that it's hard. It's hard to watch our yeah. kids be in pain and work through it. You mentioned this year, uh, especially, has been incredibly difficult uh, dealing with, you know, children staying home, learning at home, you know, high levels of anxiety. Uh, you know, we're navigating this season of our children being on screens, and we're like, is this okay? I don't know if this is okay. Like, it's what, okay what's happening? You know, like, we're just, okay. you, you go through all that. What, like, in the midst of this incredibly challenging year, what is one thing that you have treasured this year um, with, yeah. yeah, in the midst of all this? I think um, just seeing our kids live into their strengths this year, right? Because it has been so challenging. And like Luke was awesome at online school. He did great. But I know Drew really struggled with it. And we couldn't wait to get him back to in-person school. And so just as, you know, the year developed, just seeing them really find joy and find things that they were good at. And I'll share a story of Drew because, again, he's not here. So this is good. (laughs) We can share these stories. Um, But... He is really creative. He loves to make people laugh. Um, April Fool's Day is one of his favorite holidays. And so he came up with this great plan this year where he has a summer birthday and he asked his teachers if he could celebrate his birthday in school. And he picked April 1st because most people aren't like, oh gosh, that's April Fool's Day, right? So everything was going (laughs) as planned. And he got together with my mom and they went to the store and they got enough Brussels sprouts for the entire fourth grade class. 
<laughs> so then they take these Brussels sprouts home, and he dipped them all in chocolate, covered them in sprinkles, put the stick in them. <laughs> so he's got, they're, you know, they, they actually presented beautifully. They looked great, right? This, this tray of cake pops for the entire fourth grade. And he brought them into school. He didn't say a word to his friends, kept it all undercover. And he let the class sing happy birthday to him, got all the attention that he wanted, and had the moment where he got to pass out his treats with no backup, mind you. Um, pass out these, <laughs> these treats to all his friends and watch them bite into him. And they all bit into Brussels sprouts. And he came home thrilled, just so <laughs> proud of himself. And like, as a mom, how could I not be proud? Like, he pulled it off. So, so I think that was just, you know, seeing him shine and find joy this year has been really good. Yeah. So Brussels sprout cake pops mm. with no backup plan because he wasn't like, okay, Happy here's the real Happy birthday to treat. Drew. <laughs> he just wants attention. <laughs> Great. That's amazing. Okay. So you have, you know, uh, the, the treasuring and, and the significance of that role of, of uh, pouring into your children's life, seeing their personalities develop. And I want to m- move into scripture to uh, this idea of vocation and calling. Like you have Mary and her role in Jesus's life, which is incredibly significant. There's a story in Luke chapter eight and Luke does just an amazing job throughout his gospel, drawing attention to the women who are uh, around Jesus and are so important to what's going on. Luke chapter eight, verses one through Three, it says this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons came out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, or Cusa, manager of Herod's household, and Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Like we, we all, like I feel like this is incredible. These women, they're supporting Jesus and the work that Jesus is doing out of their own means. It means they, they have resources, they're managing resources, or they're working, um, and they're, they're empowering this thing that is happening. Yeah. Um, and you see this in the early church as well. You, you have the, like, you... When the church in Philippi forms, it's around this woman who's a businesswoman. We know that she sells purple. She's like hosting at her house, empowering this work that's happening. You see that with Phoebe, with Priscilla. You see all these different people that right. are supporting the body of Christ after the resurrection. Um, we, we so, so often we read over that and we forget the significant role. So observation that Jesus is supported by women out of their own means which means they're working and managing resources for this kingdom work. You uh, have a calling in your life, and I've known you as a teacher. You've you've been our daughter's teacher. Um, You've taught Sophia for a couple years. You've been a children's director for Desert City, and the whole time you were doing all of that, you were working for World Vision. And so you have this calling that's placed on your life where you have a heart for children, you have been working to raise children volunteers, and you challenge people through World Vision to run marathons, which are like probably the three most difficult things you can do. <laughs> but can you tell us a little bit about your calling and how you have now moved into a full-time role with an organization, how that calling came about, you know, what grabbed your heart, and now what do you do about it? 
Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's a calling. And I think there's a couple pivotal um, moments in my life that confirmed that. But I think I'm going to take you back to 2012. So in 2012, I was teaching kindergarten, like you said. Sophia was in my class probably about that time. Um, and it was summertime, and there we were on break, and there was just a Facebook post that said a fellow alumni from NAU had written a book. And that book was called Running for My Life, and it was by Lopez Lamang. And so to give you kind of just a short summary of it, he was six years old when living in Sudan when he got up one day and he went to church with his parents. And that day, rebel soldiers came into the church and they kidnapped all the kids by gunpoint and took them all out and um, put them in a training facility. And it was there that he escaped. And he ran for three days, three nights, taking breaks, obviously, when he needed to. And he thought he was going in the direction of his village, but he was going the opposite way. And he was again captured, but this time it was by Kenyan soldiers who took him to Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya. He lived there for 10 years, and then he, was, he came to the US through the Lost Boys of Sudan program that we had at the time. And then his parents had adopted him, and he got a scholarship to NAU for running. So back to 2012, that same summer, um, he was up in Flagstaff training for the Olympics. He's, he'll be in the next Olympics, too. He's doing a great job with his career. He's a phenomenal athlete. But he, um, he was up there, and our family had gone up to Flagstaff, and I saw him up there, and I said, Lopez, I just read your book. I had no idea but I want to help. And he said, well, I'm a team captain. I've partnered with World Vision because um, they do a lot of work where I'm from. And so join my team, run a marathon. And I was like, <laughs> not a runner, but <laughs> and he was serious about it. Um, so I joined, his, I joined his team and I started running marathons to raise funds for clean water. And we're gonna fast forward to 2015. I got the chance to go to Kenya and to see some of World Vision's work firsthand. And um, I just saw how like, in incredible the water projects were and how foundational that was to lifting a community out of poverty, right? And there was a woman that I think God used on that trip to confirm my calling, but it wasn't, I realized it wasn't just to children because I had been teaching and doing all that. And I was running for kids to have clean water, but my calling I realized was to the moms. And the moms who are carrying this burden for their kids, wanting a better future for their kids, and um, praying for their kids every day. And so she shared some of her story. Um, her name was Jane Kipsong. And behind you, behind us in that picture, you see the water back there. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. But um, she said it was 1985 when she was just a girl, when she started walking for water. And she would collect water for her family. She would go three times a day, up to 18 kilometers a day. And as she grew, her responsibilities increased. So now she's collecting not just the water, but the firewood. And then as she got married and had children, she um, was responsible for carrying her kids with her. Can you imagine? I mean, she had up to six kids at one point and strapping a baby to your front, trying to get your, <laughs> your toddlers going with you. Like, it's not an easy chore. Imagine Shauna Stancil. <laughs> Basically, Shauna Stancil, yes. <laughs> um, she, so she's, she's talking about what this is like, and then she starts describing these scars that she has where the ropes have cut into her skin from the weight of that barrel, right? And then she talks about her chronic backache that her and Jared deal with today, right? Like, <laughs> I know that's... <laughs> 
Uh, no, but I mean, it's serious, like her backache that she's, she's constantly feeling still. And um, she talked about what it was like to actually watch one of her children die from the water that she brought home, right? And it, it's like a means for survival, so it's, there's no win there. And just, just watching her describe what that life was like. And then I asked her, because this was a woman of God, right? And I asked her, how did you remain faithful? And she said, I know God is good. And every day I pray. And I pray for a better circumstance, but I know God is good. And with that, I mean, her, the story changed in 2012 for her as well, where World Vision had met with the community. She led the water committee that was formed in her village, and um, they put in this water pan, which is like a man-made lake that was then filtered through a slow sand filter, sent out to pipelines throughout the community. So her walk ended, and her kids have a different future. She's now the headmaster of a primary school in Bartabwa, Kenya. And, I mean, she speaks biblical truth to the kids that she serves. And she changed the way that I looked at gospel, the gospel. And um, I wanted to share some of that with you. So if you still have your Bible open, you can flip over to John chapter 19, verse 25. And while you're doing that, just I'm going to set it up for you, because I know Easter was just a few weeks ago. <laughs> But here we have Jesus on the cross. And in front of him is Mary, his mom, looking up at him. And she's about to lose everything, right? Her son, who is her Lord, is up on the cross. And next to her, she's got her sister Mary, Mary Magdalene, and then the disciple that Jesus loved, right? We know these are all people who are there. And I can only imagine these... These other people are there not just because they love Jesus. Yes, they do. But because they know that Mary can't, she can't be alone in this moment, right? This moment where her world is collapsing. And the beautiful thing here is that right before his death, Jesus calls out to her. So Jared, I'm going to have you read that. Yeah. John 19 verse 25 says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So the beautiful thing there, right, is that Jesus sees her, like sees her, everything that she's dealing with in this moment. And he calls out to her saying, woman, not mom, right? And that, that's not rude, I read. <laughs> it's not rude to say woman because it's like it was a way of saying ma'am, right? But what he does there, instead of saying mom and saying woman, he invites us to step into the story. So when we read that, we get to come into the story and we know that Jesus sees her and he, he fixes, I mean, the custom at that time, right, is for the firstborn son, because Mary's a widow now, to take care of the mother. Her son's on the cross. She's really about to lose it all. And we have Jesus calling her and saying, here's your son. But when we step into that, we know that in our darkest moments, in our, when the world feels like it's caving in, Jesus sees us. He sees us and he says, I love you, and I'm going to give you each other to walk through life together. 
and we can get each other's backs. And I think God uses us to answer prayers in that way that we're seeing each other. And I know for Mother's Day, it's hard for people. If this can be an awesome day of celebration, right? But you can't forget what it's also like to be in the trenches of motherhood. <laughs> and then it's like if you've been dealing with the loss of your mom, it's a painful reminder or the pain of infertility. There's so many different ways that it, it can be a painful reminder, but in that moment, Jesus sees us and says, I love you, and I'm giving you these other people to walk through life with you. We had just come across this passage, you know, we just went through Lent and Easter, and we were looking, we did this liturgy, this digital liturgy, and we looked at like this last seven words of Jesus, and I always come to this passage, and I'm like, what, you know, like the other ones are, are like, what's going on here? And in my mind, I had never seen it as an invitation. As, and for you, your calling of saying to, to care for vulnerable moms, vulnerable women and children, um, and, and you had this sense that Jesus in this passage calls us to that. There's this, this care of us taking care of each other. Right. Um, this is the work of the body of Christ now. We, we care for those who are vulnerable. We care for those who um, are under-resourced or underprivileged. And for you, that's been playing out in, in a calling that has uh, become tangible through the work of this organization called World Vision. Mm -hmm. And so we're, as a church, um, connected with a lot of different organizations. And part of today is I want to introduce you to Christine because this is one of the groups that we meet with. We're, we're going to be hearing about the different missions throughout the year of what we do. Uh, but for us as a church, there's something tangible now we can do um, and want to draw attention to it, especially because we have an event coming up. Um, with, with World Vision's work with the vulnerable throughout the world, there's, there's a, a project that they're doing that we're going to join in in August. And I know I'm not supposed to talk about it yet, but we're going to be the first church in Arizona that jumps onto this project. And I'm really excited about it because there's a bunch of churches up and down Tatum. Um, all of us pastors know each other, by the way, so we... We, we get together, we have breakfast, and there's, there's a couple of churches like Desert Springs and Heritage that we, we, we're working on this project with World Vision together, which I'm super excited about because North Phoenix is going to be partnering you know, with, this, with this thing. Um, one of the things you do with World Vision that both churches, before we merged, were both a part of was Team World Vision right. in which we would, we would run and we would raise resources to, for clean water. Right. And you convinced me to run a half marathon, and yeah. I've run two, and I'm trying to decide if I want to run more. He does. And we're not, <laughs> we're not trying to convince you to run a marathon. Yeah, Maybe so a half. Keep, keep listening, because um, we're not asking you to do that today. But that, that's a tangible way to get involved. But one thing that, that we can do in a very tangible way um, to care for the vulnerable with World Vision is next weekend. Not next weekend, but soon. May 22nd. Yeah, like two on weeks. Saturday. Two weekends. I keep saying next weekend, <laughs> trying to get people to sign up. Yeah. In uh, two weekends, uh, we're, we're doing a 6K uh, here on campus. And so if you are a runner and you like to run, it's awesome. If not, it's short enough that you can walk with coffee and hang out. Um, but we're going to be doing a 6K as a church on, on this property. And uh, we'd love for you to, to come out and to join 
um, the, 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 the funds that we raise go into uh, these water projects. In fact, the 6K, usually we do a race, it's a 5K. Do you want to talk about what's significant about the number with the 6K, the, the distance? Yeah, well, the 6K is the average distance a woman walks for water. So that's why this is a global movement. Last year there was over 30,000 participants, and so it's, it's joining together with women around the world who are waiting for their walk to end, right? So us taking on this 6K will be the last time for somebody else. So kind of what goes into that, he's saying when you register, there's a registration fee. That registration fee is not actually a fee as much as it is a tax-deductible donation. And that provides a person with clean water for life. We know at World Vision that every $50 we raise is um, somebody having clean water for life is how it all breaks down. So um, you're going to get a t-shirt, you're going to get a race bib and a medal, but that bib is the bib that matters most. It's a race bib with a child's picture on it. And the picture that's on your race bib is different from every other person's because it guarantees because of your registration that that child will have clean water for a lifetime. So, yeah, that's... So a couple ways to, to join in with this right away. There's teamworldvision.org slash backslash team backslash desert city. Um, May 22nd, 7 a.m., start time 7.15. It's going to be a fun event. We'll have people here. Uh, we might have bagels and water. I think... Megan promised popsicles. Popsicles. And you just you promised coffee <laughs> if I walk it. So I'm in for walking with my cup of coffee. There might be coffee there, too. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can join it at teamworldvision.org backslash team desert city. There's a Mother's Day promo as well in Power yeah, Moms. that's just for today. So if you're signing up today, you get $10 off. Kids are half price always. We have a, some major donors who give us money. So kids are invited to run for other kids at half price. And they've also covered this Mother's Day promo. So... Uh, as a church, you know, I, I want us to have uh, uh, not only a heart uh, for the vulnerable, I want us to be active. I want us to be activated for mission. This is a, a way that's tangible that we can do it. It's fun. It's exercise. It's community building. And it goes to a good cause. Um, so we'd love for you to, to, to jump in on this. Bree will be in the back with the computer to sign people up. Um, but, but more than that, really, um, the, the call to... Uh, to, to care for, for the vulnerable, whether it's, it's women or children or, or anyone, really. Um, as a church, we, we want to lean into that. We want to be in tune with that. Um, we want to be a place that is, has, has big hearts, uh, a big heart for the world. Um, and uh, so we'll be, we'll be doing, we'll, I'm going to continue to put things in front of us as a church and just say, let's love well. Let's love our community well. Let's love this world well. Um, so, Christine, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your heart and what you do, um, these stories. And, uh, and as, as we close, Tim's going to come back up um, with the band and with the band. Tim and Elizabeth will close <laughs> us with a song. The and I want to close with uh, this, this passage of Scripture. And it's uh, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. It's in Ephesians. And this is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this um, so he says, so here I am uh, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all of this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through Christians like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels all this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God, then executed in Christ Jesus. 
When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said and bold to go wherever we need to go. And on this Mother's Day, um, just want to draw attention to, especially women in this church, your passion, your gifting, your heart is so needed here at this local expression of the body of Christ and just globally. And so I want to pray a blessing on you as we leave, and then we'll close with a song. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the women in this church. Lord, we're grateful for your word. The scripture where we see how the church, the body of Christ, works in this world to love, to serve, to meet situations that seem hopeless. Lord, we want to be faithful to the call we have, to the things that you've placed inside of our heart, the passions. Lord, we're so grateful for the the women here with all the different stories that are represented. Lord, I assess your blessing today. Lord, we're grateful for our moms, unconditional love, all the hard work. And we're grateful, Lord, that you love us unconditionally. May we be reminded of that today. May we leave here with grateful hearts. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray.